This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. So this week, we have the second half of my interview with investor Vitaly Katzenelson, who lives in Denver, Colorado, and was kind enough to share with us his amazing life story. And just now in the second half, and if you didn't hear the first half, go back and listen to it because it's really an incredible story of how he immigrated to the US. And this episode, he's going to get more into that story, how he uh, became an investor, how he got into long-term investing, and how that helps him with his happiness and most of all his creativity, which I think is such a beautiful way to think and talk about investing. So without further ado, here's Vitaly. Okay, now I'm going to get back to investing and how you got there. Okay. Because you said you were 20-something and teaching investing already at the University of Colorado in Denver. How did you get to, to from moving to the U.S. at age 18, 18 or 19? 18. At 18 yeah. to learning English in high school for one year to then mm-hmm. going to college and then t- how did you get into investing okay so <laughs> so when i came so when I moved to denver i kind of discovered that i am fairly good with computers this is like the only skill i had other than busing tables you know that was a kind of <laughs> that's the only other skill i had and so i would basically apply for jobs that required any kind of computer skills. And, uh, w- and I got a job uh, working for an investment firm in Golden, Colorado, which is you know, not far from where you grew up, uh, spent a lot of time at. But they basically hired me because my computer skills. After a while, you know, they, they had a Bloomberg terminal. And so I, by I was, the way, total chance what it could have been any kind of company and you just took a job to do computer stuff for them. Yes, in fact, just you know, that's how random the life is. I think the, I when I set up uh, my first interview with the company, I think I misunderstood uh, the time or date to come to the interview, so I missed that interview. <laughs> and they were kind enough to allow me to come back. Aww. Just think, of, just think about how my life would have been different. Different if you know, if somebody on another line said, you know what, yeah, you know, we don't want people who miss their you know interviews. Just think about that for a second. I, I just can't even imagine that. So I get a job with this firm and I get to learn about the wonderful world of investing. And just let me give you some, you know, so when I was growing up in Russia, when you, if you told me what investing is, I would have the image of like New York Stock Exchange where people are yelling and uh, like literally the the exchange, right? Where people are yelling totally. or... Yeah, so that was yeah. investing for the me. The guys but, in the scrum wearing those like vest things all yeah. screaming at each other and holding pieces of paper. Yeah, with, like in the movie Trading Places, people yeah. selling orange futures or pork bellies. That was <laughs> investing for me. That's how I imagined it too. <laughs> and that was my understanding of investing then. And I think I was a second or third year in college or maybe going on the third year. And I was at that time, I was going through majors like I was you know, going through gloves. and I 
I was struggling to figure out what I want to do. And then I have this aha moment because I realized I kind of like finance. Hmm. You know, kind of finance investing. I like the whole concept of discounted cash flows. It just clicked with me. It just was something that was innate sitting inside of me kind of waiting to get out. And so at that point, I had this clarity because I was 20-something years old. I don't know, like 23 years old maybe at the time. I don't know. And I said, well, this is it. I'm going to change my major to finance for the last time. And I got my undergraduate and graduate degree in finance. Wow. As simple as that. That was it. And, I, and then yeah. while, while I was getting my graduate degree in finance, I also did my CFA. And so I had an Which advantage. Which a very hard test to do. It's a three, yeah, it's a three-year you know, three program, which is not easy to do. But the interesting part was that I was able to do master's and uh, I basically had a full-time job, which is working for this firm, IMA, uh, getting my graduate degree and getting my CFA. But I, was, I had an advantage because at the time I still lived with my parents and I had a neglected girlfriend, so I didn't have a much social pressure to do stuff, you know. So I was able, and you know, and there was overlap between master's degree and you know, CFA. So I could study, let's say, I take an options class um, or futures class, and then study same material for CFA. So actually, I mean, you're downplaying it, but this is very hard to do. What you're describing, full-time graduate work, CFA studying, which is an incredibly hard test that most people don't pass. And working, and you had, I'm amazed you had any girlfriend, much less a neglected one. That's quite impressive. Well, <laughs> you're too kind. But uh, so when I was done with college, so I was going to school at this point maybe for seven years, probably, because it probably took me longer to finish school because I also had a part time. Yeah, you're, you're learning English, by the way. No, no, but I also, but, yeah, but I also, but I also had to work, right? So because you know, I, I couldn't just go to college. So when I, when most kids go to colleges today, they go to college and they barely work. I had to have it. I probably worked 25, 30 hours a week. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I had a, took me longer to finish college and the most kids probably took me a year or two longer just because of that. So imagine this. So I had a job and going to college for a long, long time. I had all this energy in me and then I'm done with school. Suddenly, suddenly I have a lot of spare time. Oh, and I'm like, oh, and, and then a professor from the University of Denver, Colorado, Denver, reached out to me and said, you know what, we are looking for, you were a good student, uh, we are looking for somebody to teach finance. So, so you, like, were, you were working full time at this point, right? Yeah, but yeah, but I just, yeah, so just but you let's felt not... like you had a ton of free time because you were so used to juggling basically three different jobs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, more or less, yes. Now I can psychoanalyze myself. My father always thought that kind of this investing thing is kind of, you know, he always thought investing is kind of like gambling. He could never really see the difference between them. And I felt like this is a way for me to impress my father because, you know, he's a teacher for 30 years. I'll be a teacher as well. So this is how oh, I started teaching in university. That makes class. a lot of sense. It's, I tell you all this, you know, the Freud is so right about all this, you know, kind of son, father or son, mother issues, etc. So I, that was a kind of me trying to work out my father issue. And so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make my father proud. That's why I started teaching. And I really enjoyed it, by the way. So this was, it was not a sacrifice in any way. The problem I found with teaching over time is that um, I, get, I got bored maybe on year three or four of teaching. I think I taught maybe 
forget, for seven years. But uh, three or four or five years into it, I got bored because you kind of teach the same child subjects all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I hated grading. I hated give out grades because I kind of don't like... Uh, God, I, I like to be liked. Let me put it this way. So I didn't. <laughs> so I really hated. You couldn't be the hard ass who was giving yeah, people yeah, the bad grades they yeah. deserved. You know, I felt more about those bad grades than the kids who received them. Aww. So I, so I, yeah, that was it. That was not necessarily my. So that's part of the reason why I stopped teaching. But what also teaching, what also happened as the. As the uh, challenge of teaching declined, like maybe on second or third year of teaching, I I got a basically uh, part-time gig writing for thestreet.com. Hmm. And because I was looking, you know, like, I guess this is the mind that always looks for challenge, right? And so the challenge to so the, uh, I, you know, so the time I, you know, the teaching started being a challenge. So I started writing for thestreet.com and that was a huge challenge for me. And they were paying me nothing and they were still overpaying me. <laughs> and all you have to do is just go to the street.com or read some of my early articles and you'll see why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but I really enjoy, I, I, this has kind of became my, one of my loves, just writing, because I realized I, I think I'm so much better thinker through writing because I have a very restless brain. And the only way I can really sit down and concentrate for long enough is to stare at my computer and listen to music and write. So that's kind of how I think now. So is that a method that you use now in, in your investing practice, in your process yes. with um, studying and learning about companies and making decisions? Yeah. The only reason I have anything to say, period, and, uh, and this is not a over-exaggeration because I wrote about it. Because if you ask me about subject that I never, you know, I never, I have never wrote about, most likely there's fifty fifty chance that you get a, an answer that is incomprehensible. Because I just never thought of, you know, my brain is that's how you know, it doesn't function this way. Um, I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. I, sometimes I'll come out with something useful, but five times out of ten, it will be completely ridiculous. I almost feel like I'm a uh, there's a. <laughs> I'm an outsider looking in at my writing. In other words, after I wrote something, I'm like, oh, this is a good idea. I wish I thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like I'm an imposter of my own body to some degree when I write because, and this is, I think, part of the many reasons why I love writing. But one of the reasons is when I finish writing, I look at this, I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's also this curiosity when I sit down to write, there is always anxiety. Like when I sit down to write this, I always have the anxiety because I'm like, what if I won't be able to write it? Like, like I've been doing, I've been writing for 14 or 15 years. And that feeling of anxiety maybe declined a little bit just because, you know, over, you know overcame every single time. But my God, it's still there every single time. I just finished the 37 page article on Tesla. And you were actually, you were actually, it's kind of funny when you came to my office <laughs> in Denver, you got to, I feel like kind of sorry for you now because you had to listen to <laughs> this article still being developed in my head at the time. Are you kidding? It was so much fun to talk. So I got to see you um, in Denver in the summer when I was there and we sat and chatted about Tesla for like two hours, which was so fun because it was on my brain and it was clearly on your brain too. And so when I, like, when I sat down to write it, I was like still, 
I was still so curious. Well, in all fairness, I was still, when I sat down to write, I probably, I already had some ideas, but I I still knew that I I had to learn a lot. So I spent good amount of time just researching it and learning yeah. and you know, etc. Yeah. So so I also think the great thing about writing is it shows me where my holes are. Like when you talk, you can kind of skip over stuff and people will kind of nod along. But mm-hmm. if you have it written down, it's so obvious when you're skipping something because it just doesn't flow. And clearly the logic isn't there. And so you have to fill it in. It, it forces me to think logically. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So that's what you did with this Tesla article, Tim. Yes. It's a, I, I learned so much. So the, here's the thing. I'm, when I write, I, it's a very selfish process because I'm really, like a lot of times, it's really I'm writing for the audience of one, which is me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really it's me trying to learn through writing. So when I taught, I basically was stuck to teaching the same subject over and over again. With writing, I can always pick new subjects to write about. And I, if you look at the you know, progression of my writing, when I started writing, my, the only topic I wrote about was very fi- finance. Over the last seven years, as I especially became a parent, like as a, you know, as a, as a parent, and uh, I started to write about other topics too, not just investing in stocks or stock market, but also being about being a parent, about my trips with kids, about... I even wrote an article about personal finance, which is, trust me, it's not something I ever thought I would write about because this is so outside of my usual thinking. But it's so, something but, you're grappling with. And so... That's right. That's and I, like, I just... Actually, actually, I just yesterday just finished writing an article about sleeping. You know, like about how important sleep is for a lot, you know, for our health, which is not something I realized until. So, so this is a new material right here. So, I finished writing my thirty-seven page article, and I and then after that I had to write a, a, a client letter, you know, which I write every every four months. And so, for basically, I've been writing like kind of high intensity writing for almost almost two months, a little bit less than two months. When I was working on Tesla article, I would go to sleep late and I would get up basically about maybe a little bit early, almost about the same time, like you know, maybe at 4.30 or 4 instead of 5. But wow. I would go to sleep late. I would go to sleep not at 8 or 9, but at 11 o'clock. So I, for basically for almost two months, I did not realize, but I did not get enough sleep. Hmm. And last week, I come to my stepmom's, you know, my parents' house, and my stepmom looks at me and she says, "You look horrible. Like, you know, you have baggy eyes. Your, you know, your your skin has no color. Are you okay?" And I realized I am not okay because I basically, I felt horrible. I had zero energy, and what I basically did, I, you know, I I sleep deprived, you know, sleep deprived myself for you know almost two months. Yeah. And I am in a, and so I started looking at the subject and I realized that when we look about when we look at our health, you know, the first things that come to mind is the diet and exercise. What we don't realize is that sleeping actually is as important, I, I would argue is actually more important mm-hmm. than either one of those. But think about it this way our brain basically, when we sleep, our brain gets repaired for the time we spent awake, being awake. So it's kind of the nature, if you don't get enough sleep, our brain does not get repaired enough. 
And if you don't get a school, you know, if you don't get enough sleep or you don't have enough uh, good quality of sleep, it doesn't get repaired enough. So I'm I'm not going to go deep into the subject, but I really recommend the book uh, by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, which I think is actually incredibly well-written book, very accessible. And he did a spent 20 years of research on the subject. So it's a really, really good book. Ooh, I got to read it. Um, I'm fascinated by info about sleep because I think it's something we all constantly struggle with. Your your listeners can read my article on the subject. Uh, I just, you know, I wrote about my experience and what I learned, et cetera. When you start to think about how you're structuring your days and your weeks and Mm -hmm. your health. So you've got the trainer, you're focusing on working out, you're focused on eating well. Mm-hmm. Now you're focused on your sleep and making sure you're getting enough of it. When you make those choices, are you doing that for yourself personally? Or are you doing it as an investor to make better investing decisions? Or are the two so intertwined that there's no difference? Uh, I'm basically trying to maximize my happiness. Okay. And I'm, you know, I'm happy when I feel good. I'm happy when I'm at the, the most creative kind of like the reason I love like I love investing because I'm kind of I'm allowed to be creative. Like, you know, it's I mm. I think I look at investing as a very creative process. And I love that description because not a lot of people would say that, but I, I completely agree. And so when I look when you get older, so when you when you're younger, you take health for granted because you've always been healthy. Um, when you get older, you kind of start being a bit, a bit more mindful about this and you realize this is not something like health is not something you do when you get old. That's something you should be doing throughout your life. Um, and also your metabolism slows down. So you have to, uh, you know, watch what you eat and how much you eat. And like, you know, and you start going to the doctor and they tell you your cholesterol is high. So you start now thinking about the quality of food you eat. I'll give an example. So I did not, my cholesterol was high and I really did not want to take medicine. It's not, there was no other reason other than just I thought it was a lazy way of just, you know, I, I blame it on my Russian brain, I guess, but I thought it was a lazy way. It was a lazy way out. So I changed my diet where I basically, and I, this is, I'm on a version three of my diet now, but, yeah, but now I basically eat, eat fish. I don't eat any processed, uh, we, uh, any processed flour. I don't eat sugar. Uh, so. That's quite strict. Well, it's it's actually hard to do. Well, it's actually ended up being so. This is believe it or not, I'm still happy. In other words, doing this does not make does not make me unhappy. Hmm. I actually did one compromise. I geofenced my diet, and what I mean by this is that this diet only applies when I am in Denver. If I fly out (laughs) anywhere else, if I fly out anywhere else, then I can do anything I want. Oh no! But do you see immediate bad results from that? Not really, because I still, probably, if you think about it, I still probably out of 360 days a year, probably still spend 340, maybe I don't know, still spend 90% of my time in Denver. Okay. So if I my diet, you know, and the reason I did this because when when I saw you in uh, in Zurich when I was traveling you know, uh, in uh, in January, traveling to Europe. Is very difficult if you and not to eat bread. It just it, I found it to be just not that because I'm just like for breakfast. If you want to eat eggs and you don't eat bread, it just becomes very difficult. So I realized part of the traveling experience is kind of food is kind of part of the enjoyment. 
Yeah. And you want to enjoy things that you don't normally get at home. Exactly. So that's why I kind of modified it. And I tested it because on the second half of my trip to Europe this year, I basically said, you know, I'm going to eat anything I want. And I was afraid when I come back to Denver, I won't be able to go back to my normal diet was not an issue for me. So I'm like, okay, so I can do this. And so sleep is basically, I realized if I have no energy, if I don't, if I don't get enough sleep, first of all, no energy is just not fun. It just, you know, you, you walk like a zombie, just not a good state to be in. Also, if you don't get enough sleep, you, it's very, uh, click, uh, the sleep impacts your creativity. Yeah. So uh, I found actually, in fact, one of the consequences of me being sleep deprived for like, you know, almost two months is that I, f- I suddenly discovered my memory really got bad. I couldn't, you know, you, you and I would be talking about a movie and I would not be able to remember the name of the actor. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I said to myself, okay, this is too important. And after you read the book, by the way, after you read the Why We Sleep, you realize that lack of sleep causes, uh, heart disease, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, car, the more people are killed in car accidents because of lack of sleep than uh, from drunk driving or, you know, so it's, it's really big. It's really, it's, it's really, it's, it's a really big deal. It's yeah. a, and the interesting part is this, you don't really have to do that much. Just like when we talked about budgeting, you just have to be, be mindful about this and kind of make a conscious, you know, conscious decisions just or create a set of rules, basically, right? This is what I value. So the same thing with uh, your sleep, right? So the, if you, uh, I'll give you a few hints. So um, if you uh, don't watch, to, if you uh, limit your intake of caffeine to, you know, 10 hours before you go to sleep, 10, 12 hours before you go to sleep, it's going to be easier for you to fall asleep. Because caffeine has a half-life of seven hours. So in other words, uh, after you drink uh, caffeine seven hours later, half of that caffeine is still in the system. So, hmm. And caffeine basically uh, reduces the quality of your sleep. Uh, it makes me smile because you're just like such a like investor type who knows exactly what the half-life of caffeine is. Whereas most people would just say, oh, it affects sleep. But I well, love no. that you know the exact <laughs> number of hours that you can go. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, well, I'm I'm somewhat analytical, and in all fairness, I just read that book, so it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk in six months, and I won't remember that. But uh, my but, rule is but, just no caffeine after noon. That's it. Oh, okay, no, that's that's right. And I so what I do now is switch to decaf. You know, after you know after nine o'clock in the morning. So if I still want to drink coffee, but then also, and this is something that's going to be a project for me to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, if you dim lights, so the, basically uh, there was this uh, hormone in your body called melatonin that basically it triggers, it's like, it starts, it's a, like, a, if, if, uh, if sleep was a eight, a eight mile race, that's a start pistol sound of start pistol saying, it's time to go to sleep. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do about the quality of your sleep, but it's going to help you to fall asleep because that's what basically triggers of you getting sleepy. So the problem is our body has been designed for, for the time when uh, we didn't have, uh, you know, we didn't have lights, right? So, uh, so the, 
you know, so the our body was basically, you look at the sunlight and, you, you know, you still don't need to go to sleep. When the sun starts going down, the mother nature programmed you to think that this is a time to go, this time to go to sleep. So That's your exactly. body was programmed to be asleep all the time. Well, <laughs> you probably, when I grew up in Murmansk, you're probably right. But, you know, thank God, thank God we had uh, electricity. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But so, so now when uh, a few hours before we go to sleep, I'm getting, you know, I'm dimming lights at home, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. I am, I, if I read something, uh, if I read something on iPad, I actually wear glasses that, you know, that uh, remove the uh, blue light. Oh, I gotta get those. I really want some. It's yeah. a twenty dollars on Amazon. It's a, yeah. Um, and I, I have uh, the difference on my iPhone. If I have it on the low power, which takes mm-hmm. off the blue light versus mm-hmm. the regular power, I actually start to think now, why am I not sleepy? And I realize it's because I've had it on the regular power, mm-hmm. the regular light setting. I can I can actually notice the difference in my body. Exactly. And doesn't doesn't do it like how much energy does it take from you? Very little, right? It's just oh, yeah. but then suddenly you have better sleep. Uh nothing you gotta do is like, you know, have a lower, you know, you wanna you, you sleep better in a lower temperature. So if you know it's a normal room temperature in the United States, 72 degrees, you you know, you want it to be lower than that. So 65 degrees seems to be the optimal temperature. So these little adjustments and suddenly the and oh, and then here's the key. You need to get at least eight hours of sleep. So, and obviously, you don't fall asleep right away. So, for me, it takes me about twenty thirty minutes. So, it means if I want to get up at five, if if I want if I want to get up at four, I need to go to sleep at eight, which is very difficult to do, considering I have you know still have a five a twelve year old at home, thirteen year old at home. Why so do you I like pro- to wake up early? I find that I I enjoy my writing in the morning the most like when i'm still everybody still sleeps still mm-hmm. asleep and i just put my headphones on i have my laptop i have I have this comfortable chair in my bedroom and i put music on and this is like my meditation this is kind of this i look forward to this an hour or two of writing i just really enjoy this so this is and that's that's for the most part that's when i write so the only reason i can have a you know you know run an investment firm and spend as much time on research as I do because and write at the same time because I write, you know, one or two hours a day on a consistent basis. Just that's, you know, that's why I can write. Like if if I if you look at the collection of the articles I write, you know, and you know, throughout the year, it's probably like a book or two a year, like, you know, in itself. So uh what do you anyways, do with all that writing? Do you put it out? Almost all my articles show up on a contrarian edge.com. Hmm. Which is basically kind of repository of my articles. So if you want to read every article I wrote since the beginning of my writing career, and quotes, you can find it there. Contrarianedge.com. Um, yes, but also, and I think this is actually better value. And I, well, I don't know how you define value because you pay for, you know, zero for either website or this. What I'm about to tell you, um, but I think the even better value is uh, get my articles by email because. When you get it by email, you get, in addition to my investment article, you get uh, classical music. I love classical music. And I saw every article includes a, a short note, a long note about classical music, and usually it's linked to some uh, classical pieces to listen to. Also, it includes my father's art and my brother's art. So that you can only get that in my email. And again, it's completely free, and you can go to Contrarian Edge 
and subscribe to my emails. And that's... Cont- I will personally highly recommend Vitaly's email list. He sends out really interesting articles. As, as he just said, there's beautiful art attached to them. And whether you read it every time or every now and then, I always take something away that's extremely useful for my investing practice. Especially when you don't read it. But yeah. (laughs) 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 No. Um, And also, so, so, but that's only part of it. So, and then I'm working on the book. Can you talk about it? Sure. Um, So my book, so it's going to be called the, the intellectual investor. I like it. Uh, and which is a play, obviously, on the intelligent investor. But I would argue it's kind of the next uh, more creative evolution of the intelligent investor. So it's completely built on the intelligent investor, which is kind of the kind of the Bible. Uh, actually, I'm going to make a horrible joke, but <laughs> if the intelligent investor is the Old Testament, that would be like the New Testament. <laughs> Considered I'm Jewish, that's not necessarily oh. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, you just set yourself a ridiculously high bar, but I like it. Yeah, no, that's 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 exactly right. But anyway, so but I and I'm really, to be honest, it you know, this book only has a judge of one, which is me. It's mm-hmm. really like where the first book I wrote was a really like active value investing has at 270 pages and 75 charts and tables. This one has and uh, my my second book, the little book of sideways markets, was really kind of the first book simplified for your neighborhood dentist kind of kind of you know it's if you know it's only one third the size and much simpler um uh this book is i'm really writing for me and this is my kind of education my journey of trying to become a better investor so so I can call it whatever I want because you know it may take me five years to write it or ten years to write it. I don't have a deadline. It's really just there to educate me. What makes you a better investor? Well, I think it comes down to I think the X factor is creativity. Kind of the if you could, the, what's it's a, it's a, it's it's becoming more creative. And this is still I'm trying to explore that. Mm. You know how can you what can you do to become more creative? Well, I'll tell you this. You know. I answered part of the question, sleep more, you know, so just mm-hmm. <laughs> how about, you know, start, start doing that. And it, but also, you know, it's kind of interesting and coming back to sleep for a second. In our society, we have this attitude, we'll sleep more when we're dead, you know, when we're dead, right? Because this is, this is kind of our attitude. We admire people who, who are kind of what we call high functioning people who work, you know, 15 hour days. That's not necessarily good. That's a kind of a, Henry Ford assembly line mentality where your output is not very creative, but more very um, kind of most very standardized and very mechanical output. In the, in, that's exactly right. It's input equals output mentality. Exactly. Versus in a creative field, it's input equals who knows what. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> the amount of input doesn't necessarily have much to do with the uh, quality of the output, which is what you ask. It's a nonlinear relationship, right? It's yes. basically, it's a nonlinear relationship. Basically, for me to be a better investor, I need to become more creative. And, uh, and this, this book is basically me trying to learn how can I become more creative. And, uh, it's a, and so that's, that's really... So I, there's a cute story in the beginning of the book, and I'll tell you about this because like one of my favorite stories of all time. This uh, and this is kind of explain you explains what the book is about. 
this uh, woman comes to Dalai Lama and brings her son with her and says, can you please talk to my son because he's too much sugar. Can you please talk to him and tell him not to eat sugar? He says, no problem, but can you come back in a month? I'm like, okay. So the woman comes back in a month, again, brings her son. Dalai Lama looks at her son and says, stop eating sugar. The woman is bewildered. She's like, well, I was here a month ago. Like, you could have said the same thing. He said, yes, but first I had to quit eating sugar myself. <laughs> and so this, so, so this book is about me you know, stopping eating sugar, basically. It's really about me trying to become a better investor. Before I can tell you how you should be a better investor, I should probably make myself a better investor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that book is about. So this is why... There is no published, like, I don't care. Like, honest to God, I, after you publish the books, you, and you've done, you've, you've gone through that. And put it this way, I checked off that uh, item from my bucket list now. So writing the book. So this book is really for me because I really want to learn. And this is why there's no deadline. And so it sounds like the answer to my question from a bit ago is that these changes that you've been focusing on the sleep and the eating and the exercising and probably others that you're trying out now mm-hmm. you're writing about for the new book are for personal happiness and investor happiness and and it doesn't sound to me like there's really a difference between those things for you yeah so no you're absolutely right because i kind of i don't know where Vitaly, you know, like my, like Vitaly, you know, I start speaking in the third person about myself, where, <laughs> where my person, where, where my, if I look, if I look at my individuality, right, where my personal life uh, begins and where, where, uh, where it flows into my investing life, because even look at my friends, like I look at a lot of my friends and I really, like a lot of my investment friends are my very dear friends that I can talk to about so many other subjects other than stocks. I can talk about kids, you know, whatever. And uh, I think that's the uh, that's that's really the key uh, is that the I can't really separate my personal life and investing life. So for me, being happy as an investor is for me being happy as an individual now. And also, but it, and, but it also, but it also that also means if I'm happy as a parent, as I'm happy as a husband that also makes me happy as well. Yeah, which means that it's not just a job. It's something you would do regardless. Oh, it's a, yeah. So if I won a lottery tomorrow, you know, it would make yeah, my life would not change a bit. <laughs> That's a good feeling. I'm the happiest when I'm the most creative. If you look for happiness in material things, you're never going to find it because you can always have more material things. Um, I look for happiness in my in the in the process of doing things, in the process of you know of you know creating and you know creating. By the way, not just articles, but actually again looking investment as investing as a creative process. So that's what makes me happy. I guess that's you know going through this journey of of creating. That's beautiful. I can't add anything to that. Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. 
Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.